Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello everyone, Charles Watts here, joined of course by James Benj, which means it is Inside Arsenal Extra Time. James, how's it going, mate? You having a good week? It's rubbish. Everything rubbish. is rubbish. Everything is rubbish. We have just been watching uh, England's latest pitiful attempts to uh, bat. Just just bat for 50 overs would be progress. Um, I think uh, it'd be very funny, wouldn't it, if this goes live and... Um, David Willey has set, taken a sort of six for, and England have somehow beaten Sri Lanka. And yet, I, I, I fear this is the end for England's World Cup defence. I was saying to you off air, the most pitiful since, maybe even more pitiful than Spain in 2014. Yep, yep. It's totally and utterly embarrassing. I, I flew into um, Germany at the weekend because I was talking at the Frankfurt Book Fair and I arrived. Well, don't about tell me the Germans were mugging us off about They weren't, no. But I arrived about 10 in the morning at my hotel because I got a morning flight and I couldn't check in until 3 p.m. And they wouldn't let me check in as well. I was like, oh, come on, can you just let me in a little bit earlier? And I know room's not ready till 3. And so I basically spent five hours walking around the mall over the road in Frankfurt listening to England versus South Africa and just getting more and more annoyed at how dreadfully bad we are. I mean, it's honestly, it's got to be the worst World Cup defence, like you said. In cricket terms, I can't think of one. It's so, I'm sure there might be, but it's so pitiful. But uh, yeah, this one was embarrassing. I thought Adil Rashid's wicket was pretty much the last thing I saw before coming up to to do this, summed up summed up the entire World Cup campaign for England. It's just, just awful. Yeah, really, really bad. So aside from cricket, How's the week been? All good? I mean, joining the yeah. league? I've, I really did. Um, I thought we had two intriguing rounds of games. Obviously, that Arsenal match, great result. I think, mm-hmm. to an extent, we're also used to sort of seeing Arsenal steamroller opposition uh, in the Premier League. And you don't think of Sevilla as being that good, but it's Champions League. It's different. And anytime you go to a stadium like that against a, a wily old operators, like Modric, uh, not Modric, Rakitic, Ramos. Coming away from that with three points is a brilliant result, I have to say. 
Yeah, yeah, really good. We'll speak about that a bit later on in this episode. Definitely worth touching on that as well. I agree. I thought it was a really, a really good result um, that certainly put Arsenal in control of that Champions League group. Um, yeah, there were some interesting games. I thought Dortmund, good result for Dortmund yesterday at at Newcastle. That that group is wide open. Man United obviously having some late drama with Anana actually stepping up and doing something of note for the first time probably since he's arrived at the club. Um, yeah, no, I thought it was an interesting week. It's just quite nice, actually. I said it on my show this morning. It's Thursday. And it's quite nice to think that's European action over for the week. Of course, it's not. But what's going on between now and this evening just really doesn't matter for the first time in years. <laughs> that's a really nice feeling that we don't have to worry about European football on a Thursday night. Yeah, I do. I, I, I really would like Liverpool to get knocked out because um, from purely professional reasons... They are by far and away the biggest team in the Europa League. And as much as I sort of venerate the Europa League, um, if there's no big teams in it, I can get away with not paying attention professionally. So um, the other thing would be, Liverpool, could you just steamroll your group, get qualified so that I can say to my editors and everyone, there's no story in Liverpool tonight because I'm not looking forward to watching them against Toulouse. Um, Lucky you, you get to spend your Thursday evening doing much more enjoyable things, I'm sure. Do you know what I'm doing tonight? I am going to Blenheim Palace to take my kids around the Halloween trail starting at 6pm this evening. And uh, yeah, so they're getting dressed up. I'm not getting dressed up, but they are getting dressed up. My daughter is going as a zombie cheerleader and my son is going as, what's he dressing up as? Um, who's the <laughs> who's the old guy with a uh, scythe? Um, Death. Yeah, yeah it's another word. Grim Reaper, isn't it? Grim, Grim Reaper, Reaper yeah. yeah. He is going as a Grim Reaper. But it's a weird Grim Reaper because he's got a mask and he's got red eyes in it. He actually genuinely looks scary. He looks like some sort Ooh. of weird... It's like a mixture between a Grim Reaper and something out of Star Wars. And he does actually look genuinely quite freaky. Sounds actually. like the Emperor, doesn't it? Yeah, it's sort of like an evil, more evil version, look, uh, looking version of the Emperor. So, uh, yeah, that's my I... that's my Thursday night. Yeah, last night, yesterday I was at Legoland all day. Last, tonight I'm at Blenheim Palace, Halloween Trail tomorrow... I'm at Odds Farm picking pumpkins with them. The joys are half term. Half term sensational. Like, I mean, not just for the kids, but for Charles Watts as well. What a week! I know. What a week! Do they get a well, fortnight, or are they? Is that no, only a thankfully, fortnight? thankfully, it is just one week. And it's one week of half term, and then we head towards the madness that is Christmas. Oh God! Of course. Um, all right, let's start talking about football, shall we? And more importantly, talking about Arsenal. Um. Um. We'll look ahead to this weekend. Chef United. Oh, actually, quickly before we do that, what did you make of the Chelsea result? Because we haven't touched, and we'll keep this really, really short. But I was watching this in Frankfurt, in a, in a pub uh, in Frankfurt by the train station with Felix, very nice German Arsenal fan that I met, and uh, we had good fun watching that game. Um, yeah, it was a weird game, wasn't it? Really weird game. I think it was a good result for Arsenal in the end. Obviously, didn't play well to get a result the way they did. Come back two late late-ish goals, um, decent decent enough result. I don't think you can complain too much about that. Yeah, completely agree with you. I think the only thing that's... I'm glad no one's mentioned it because it would sound like excuse-making. I have this silly theory that the horrendous nature of the pitch really sort of set Arsenal just off on the wrong course. I mean, in those first 10 minutes, it was like the ball couldn't roll. Um, that was how bad the rain was. That you know, I'm not saying Chelsea did anything in that regard. Um, it's a good result. It's a stupid game. Um uh, I think almost one to like kind of throw in the dustbin of history is like, yeah, you're happy with the point there, but you, you, you can't read too much into it. It was weird. And our, everyone, you know, Erdegaard, Jesus, 
even for a long time, Saka, when you have that many players that seem just completely off as Zinchenko, you just think, ah, forget about that. Although maybe with Erdegaard, you shouldn't be forgetting about it. I don't know. Mm. It was a, yeah, it was a weird game. It was one I tweeted afterwards. It's like it's just one of those games you just take the point and run after a performance oh. like that and the way the game panned out. And um, you know, ultimately at the end of the season, it might end up being a very very good point for Arsenal. Um, so Sheffield United this weekend, you know, it's just one of those games. I mean, Arsenal had a difficult start to the season. I think when you look at the fact they're unbeaten at the moment, they haven't played at their best. You would say, and they've played some. You know, played United, played City, played Spurs, played Chelsea away. You know, it's been a it's been a relatively tough start fixtures wise. So you kind of look at this one this weekend, uh, an opportunity for Arsenal really to maybe lay down a bit of a marker for the first time this season. I mean, they went to Bournemouth one four nil. They did it then. It was a nice, comfortable afternoon, a rare one so far this season. You kind of look at this game as another chance to have one of those kind of afternoons, and I think it'd be quite important as well for Arsenal to you know, put in a bit of performance, win this game fairly comfortably and show that they can, you know, sort of take teams to the cleaners when they need to. Yeah. I mean, we have to contextualise the opponent here. This isn't just a bottom of the Premier League after nine games team. This is a team that sort of is tracking to be one of the worst in Premier League history. And, you know, that's not the fault of Sheffield United fans. And obviously there's all sorts of confusion with the ownership there, but... Look, they are giving up uh, levels of shots, levels of expected goals that are that like, I don't have in my data set. I don't have a team that's anywhere near as bad as Sheffield United have been, including Luton, including Bournemouth. And I think against those teams, you do need to start thinking about things like goal difference, spreading the goals, getting your players back in form, getting Erdegaard involved, and and finding the net. Um, you have to think of it as an opportunity. And of course, Arteta can't say this, but you have to think of it as a different sort of opportunity, an opportunity to really get some goals in this team, get the, the crowd bouncing because you've paddled them three, four, five nil. And that should be the aim and the expectation. And I think, you know, people say there's no easy games in the Premier League. There's one, I think, at least. Um, and I think Arsenal should be going into this aiming for a, a heavy win. Um, I cannot wait to see that get clipped up when they lose 1-0. Pretty they wrong, won't, really, when you when you say all that. The fact that Tottenham, who are top of the table, were basically 1-0 down against Sheffield United at mm. home after 96 minutes. I didn't watch that game, obviously, so I don't know how it all panned out. But given how bad Sheffield United have been, it's pretty mad that they, they got themselves in that position where they were winning 1-0 at Spurs deep into stoppage time before those last, those last few minutes. Um, It'll be interesting to see what sort of team selection Mikel goes for in this game. Um, obviously, there are a couple of injury issues that are going on at the moment. Gabriel Jesus, we understand, having his scan today. Simon Collins just reported that from the standard um, after that hamstring issue. You would imagine, even if, as Jesus himself suggested after the, the game on Wednesday, on Tuesday night, that it wasn't too bad. It's still a hamstring issue. I can't yeah. imagine he'll be playing this weekend, but you know we'll wait and see. Thomas Party, um, my understanding, he he's not going to be playing this weekend. I don't think it's there's too much concern from Party's camp that it's a you know a potential six weeker, but I think he's from what I understand he's definitely not going to play this weekend. But we'll have to wait and see on that. But that's what that's the information that I'm getting. So there's going to have to be some changes made for this one. Um, when you sort of look at the team that Mikel could be put now, what do you want to see and what sort of things does he have to take into account given 
the game in midweek at Sevilla and then what they've got coming up in the next week, which is obviously a game at West Ham in the Carabao Cup and then, you know, a really tough looking trip to Newcastle the following weekend, the following Saturday. Yeah, I mean, the eyes can't help but sort of drift a little bit to Newcastle, but you do at least have the advantage that everyone's going to rotate in the Carabao Cup. I'm sure mm-hmm. we will see minutes there for the likes of, you know, your Smith Rose, Kivior's. Um, actually, there's not that many p- players when you run d- Ramsdale. There's not that many players when you run down the list that you're like, that they haven't really got chances. I think you would say Smith Rowe, uh, Nelson. Um, and I, I think it's start time to start blooding those players a little bit, but maybe not for this game against Sheffield United, just because... I think there's going to be value in trying to build some some repetitions of as much of your strongest 11 as you can get out there. So the intriguing positions for me then is that, that left central midfield position. And I suppose interlinked to that is striker. Like I agree with you. I, I think even if Gabriel Jesus is, unless he's anything other than 100% fit, you know, if he's 98% fit, just what's the point of risking it? You could always have him on the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question then becomes, and, want to know your take on this do you given the impressive performances off the bench in the role do we want to see more of Kai Havertz as that center forward or do we want to kind of use this as an opportunity to to see what he can do in that left central midfield role which I know he's been working on more in training um and he will need he will need game time to test it out and what better games than than ones like this one I mean, the, the alternatives maybe you have like a Vieira on the left. I don't really see the value of Jorginho Rice, Erdegaard. So could you play Rice deep with Vieira, Smith Rowe? But personally, I, I, th- I think this is a game to to have Havertz and, and Ketia. What about you? Yeah, see, I'm kind of leaning more towards Havertz playing as the nine in this one, if there's no Jesus. Mm. But, um, because I think it's going to be a real, you know what Sheffield United are going to do. They're going to camp everyone on in and around the edge of the penalty area two banks of probably five and yeah. and maybe having that more sort of focal point of habits up there might work out i see i i was talking about this in my show that i did um in the morning and i kind of like the idea of smith row playing in this in this game um i l- agree with you i don't think there's a need for Jorginho and rice in this game i'd be playing rice as a six and then having someone in that in that left eight row it kind of appeals looks like that Emil may have sort of moved ahead of Vieira a little bit at the moment in the pecking order, which is really interesting. I mean, Vera was Nunes' squad against Chelsea. Smith Rowe was, was he the first sub on or the second sub after there was uh, Tommy came on? Yeah. Um, came on, you know, ahead of Havertz in that game. I thought that. Um, and it's interesting. There seems to be a li- tiny little bit of a shift. I don't know why that would have, why that would be, because it looked like, you know, Vieira was absolutely playing his way into the shout of being in the starting 11 on a regular basis earlier on in the season. So, and the, just the way that the game's going to pan out, I would expect, I kind of like the idea of having Smith Rowe in and around there, sort of making those runs in those little flicks around the corners, the kind of one touch passes, yeah. that type passing that might work against Sheffield United. I don't think he'll do it, but when the way I kind of look at it, I think that might be a good, a, a good little move. And then you have Havertz as a nine, uh, obviously with Saka and Martinelli either side, and then Odegaard and Smith Rowe sort of floating in and around in, in and around there but I I imagine it will probably be Eddie and like you said Havertz playing as that as that eight um but yeah I I I, I look at this one and think if you're gonna give someone like Smith Rowe minutes in the Premier League then this is surely 
a real opportunity to do that. If he's not going to get minutes now, again, you're into that question of when when is he or anyone else kind of going to get minutes in, in, into sharing this sort of sharing the burden around. That's really interesting. I have to say, I hadn't even quite twigged, but you are right that it does feel like Smith Rowe has has taken a step forward. I mean, I think the thing we always say about him is when he does get extended minute, minutes, he he plays quite nicely, and I thought he had a good cameo off the bench um against Chelsea didn't he and like I, I you make a really interesting point I think there are various ways you can sort of think about how you deal with a low block like Sheffield United and Havertz I like the physicality although frankly he doesn't always deploy it as effectively as he could mm-hmm. I'm always quite a big proponent of having an Inketia on the pitch in a game like this because he has that thing that you can't coach or you can hone but you can't teach someone. He just, the ball just drops to him in crowded penalty areas. That happens a lot. And I think you tend to see, I mean, wasn't it against um, Fulham? Was it who? Oh, Forest. They did the same thing, didn't they? they flooded the box. And Nketiah still found that one opening and took it really nicely. But Smith Rowe, he's the player that can, probably more than anyone in the squad, in central areas can take two, three players out of the game with his movement, his give and go, his dribbles. So you have absolutely taught me around to, I think I'd want to make room for Smith Rowe in that team. And yeah, go on. I'll do Smith Rowe and Havertz up top because if I need someone for the ball to drop to, then I can always bring Eddie on, can't I, late on. Um, but like you, Arteta just really likes Nketiah. I, don't, mm. I think we always look for a more complex explanation than the most simple one, which is, Nketiah trains hard every single week, works hard, does his all for the team in games, even if sometimes it's um, it frustrates fans that they don't see as much interplay and as much uh, cutting edge. But that's what Arteta likes, Nketiah. And so I'm, I'd am i be surprised if he, if he doesn't feature. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Although I didn't think his cameo against Sevilla was was great at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, when he came on, just wanted to, on, on, Thomas, it's another injury to Thomas Party, which is, you know, it's a great shame for Arsenal. It's a great shame for him. Obviously, he's just come back from the injury, immediately went away for two friendlies for Ghana. I just look at that decision. I, you know, I don't blame him. I suppose he gets called up. But just from a Ghana point of view, was it really worth taking him over for those two games in a friendly? They weren't qualifiers or anything like that. It was taking him all the way over to America. He just played five minutes of it or 10 minutes back from injury. It just felt like maybe, maybe that a more sensible decision could have been made there. It's not like they, they need to see Thomas Party to find out what he's about or anything like that. You know, they know exactly what he's about. And it just felt like a little bit too much to me, uh, to, to take him over there. And now obviously he's come back and he's picked up an injury straight away. Again, whether it's linked, I mean, who knows? I don't know. It, pro- it probably isn't. But still, just sort of looking at it sort of subjectively as it as it stands now, it just feels like, did he really need to go through that? Um, would it not have been better just to stay back in England for those two weeks and to continue and then, you know, go and link up with Ghana in the next international break in November. And hopefully, you know, he would have been much more stronger. Obviously that hasn't happened now. It's all hypothetical anyway, but um, it's just another injury. It's more 
sort of fuel to the fire about Thomas Partey and his injury issues and whether Arsenal need to really make a big decision on him. There's been lots of talk about that. I've had lots of questions and comments. I had someone here who's obviously sort of from the other side of it. He said, look, why not look at the party stats from our season? He played 33 Premier League games. That is not injury prone. He's he's played more games than half the squad in the past three years. His injury record is overblown because of how much we miss him when he's out. Now, I don't agree that his injury record is overblown because of how much we miss him. Um, I think his injury record is there to be seen <laughs> uh, and has been since he's arrived at the club. It's an ongoing theme and, you know, there's no getting away from that. And it is just frustrating. I think mainly, and that, that point sort of points to it there, that in that comment that he is so important. He does bring so much to the team when he's fit that it obviously, it does feel like such a big absence constantly when this keeps happening. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really, really frustrating one. Like I said, he definitely, from what I hear, he's not he's not going to be involved this weekend. And um, that would certainly put him, his place, you would imagine, in doubt for a huge, huge game at Newcastle the following week, which I would have loved to have seen Thomas Partey playing in. And that is a big, big, big blow. I mean, that is the, you would say in theory, and if I'd said to you sort of two weeks or two weeks before the season began, who would line up in midfield for that sort of game? Partey and Rice would be, would be un- undebatable. Mm. Um, to briefly sort of, I thought you made a really good point there on Garner. And if I were Chris Hutton, um, as much as there is value in in having Partey around and getting him engaged before the Africa Cup of Nations, let's let's be frank. Look at his injury record. What you need to start doing as a national team manager is thinking about how how do we play if Partey is injured before the before Afcon. Like what's our what's our plan B? Because you need to get. That. I mean, I'm ju- I'm just looking here at, at sort of minutes Arsenal have have got out of players. I mean, it it's it is interesting that that point you're you're coming to make because I'm just let me count. He's at one two. He's played the seventh most Premier League minutes for Arsenal since the start of the 2020 to 21 season. So I know that is a little bit skewed. Can I group those by season? A little bit skewed based on um, the fact he's been there seven. You know, he he's been in the squads for all those yeah. seasons, and and you know a, a Gabriel Jesus hasn't. Seventh doesn't feel too bad, but I, I mean I haven't got the numbers in front of me. But I bet you if I did cities and sort of divide well, them, on that, Rodri would be number let one. Me just, let me just bring this up for you, and that might explain that. Look at this. Yep. Saka, Martinelli and Thomas Partey, the only players in the current Arsenal squad who started against Sheffield United the last time the two sides met in April 21. You know, that, I mean, that is pretty remarkable stat there and shows how new this team is and how many changes there have been in such a short space of time at Arsenal. And, you know, the team, what, less, less than four years ago has changed yeah. that much. And so it doesn't surprise me really that he's still, he's he's seventh or as, as high up as seventh. But I don't think that's necessarily because he's played a lot of minutes, more minutes than we think. I think it's just because there haven't been, there's not many players that have been there that long. So I guess the 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 other good way of putting this is he arrived, I don't know, a few weeks after Gabriel, but he arrived in the same summer as Gabriel, and both of them play critical positions for the squad, the sort where you go, gosh, you know, we want him to play 35 out of 38 games this season. Gabriel, since arriving, has played 9,040 minutes, second to, of course, Bakayo Saka. Thomas Partey's played 6,301. So you're getting almost a third less football out of Partey than you are out of 
Gabrielle. <laughs> it's it's a problem, and it's a it's it's not getting better. Like the biggest predictor of future injuries is past injuries, and I think given Partey's age, as much as we sort of thought, oh, you know, it's him as as long as he wants that reserve role behind Rice, that's fine. I think you need to sort of wonder about do Arsenal need someone that can step in for him? Jorginho's there, I know. But, you know, do you need to think about succession planning for, for Partey? And, and maybe a player that, that also does some of those things that Partey doesn't do as well, you know, playing as an inverted right-back and a midfielder. Um, because, look, like, it's going to come to mid-February and how many minutes will Partey have got? Because yeah, you, you're going to be careful managing him through Christmas. He's going to be gone at AFCON. Maybe the maybe the plus side of this is come April, May, he'll have played so little Premier League football that he won't actually be injured for once. But it's hard to keep your patience with with a player that has has been missing so many Mays when Arsenal, Aprils and Mays when Arsenal really needed him, and that's yeah. not necessarily his fault. It's a real shame because he's such a good player and he's so important. And you know, hopefully this isn't going to be a long one and he will come back and he will still make a big impact because I still think he can make a big impact on this season if he can get get fit. And I, I love the thought of that midfield three of Odegaard, Rice and Partey at times. And it's just a real shame we haven't really been able to, to, um, to see it enough. Interesting debate, actually, quickly. I'm going to go back to that, that stat on that Sheffield United game in a minute. But... Um, a player who's been you know, asked me to name that team, are you? Oh, well, I might well be. Um, no looking before that. Um, Takira Tomiyasu was brilliant. I spoke about him on today's show, and there's been lots of debate about sort of now, given the, his performance, you know, who's better, uh, Tomiyasu or Zinchenko? And um, it's, it's just an open debate, obviously, but I thought he was brilliant at the weekend. But there's been quite a few people who have been. Um, who've been mentioning this, you know, why don't we see Zinchenko as a left eight? Why does it have to be one or the other at left back? Why can't Tommy Asu at times be playing as left back and then allow Zinchenko to move that further forward and actually play as a left eight where we see him play in midfield for Ukraine very, very well lots of times. But it just seems to be something that Mikel doesn't really go for. I don't think you've seen him try it yet. And I remember when he signed, I thought it was something we were going to see a lot. And in fact, I remember at the time, I thought, oh, yeah, he's probably been signed to play in that position rather than a left back. And yet we haven't seen it. So do, you, do you reckon the reason is that Mikel just doesn't really see that as an option? I am a little bit flummoxed. I suppose the logic is he will always want the player who plays at left back, especially when Ben White is at right back. He'll always want that player to invert. And wasn't it weird seeing... Tommy, who I think in in Arsenal circles, we kind of got used to seeing him as that, uh, you know, he was the, the pre-Ben White, wasn't he? Mm. He was the guy that you would see maybe sort of whipping in the crosses from deep, but he was very good at holding position and making that back three. And, and then you sort of look up in, in uh, Sevilla and you're like, is that Tommy Asu right in the penalty? I mean, he's getting more advanced than Jorginho at times. And actually the the thing I like most about him is his best performances last season were like, he was the left back stopper, wasn't he? He was. You've got Mohamed Salah, or you've got a right foot, a right winger who's really strong on your on their left foot. Stick Tommy Asu there. We'll basically play a flat back four, um, and and we'll you know we're we're not really going to have anyone invert into midfield. But Tommy Asu does that pretty well now. He did that, you know, and every time he comes in at left back, I think 
he's good inverted left back. Um, I'm talking about Tommy Asu all the time because I have no earthly idea why we haven't even seen Zinchenko as a left eight because he ticks every box. I mean, he is maybe the most obvious sort of upgrade for Granite Xhaka out of all the players in the squad. You know, he's okay defensively, but he, he makes smart runs. He's good in possession. I think the thing I would say about that role is it's really an off-ball role. You don't carry the ball a lot. Possession doesn't come to you a lot. And of course, all of Zinchenko's greatest qualities are what he does on the ball, not off it. Maybe that. It seems perverse not to take a look at it, though. And I think that's where I fall down on. I'm sure It sounds like you're the same. Yeah, no, I am. I do wonder if it's he wants that left left eight role to be. Actually, no, I'm I'm talking myself out of that argument already because I just thought he's played Vieira there. I was going to say maybe he wants a, a bit more of a physical or a player with a bit more stature in that role, like we saw with Granite and you know Havertz. Obviously, has been brought in to potentially try and do that as well. But then he has played Vieira there, and he's certainly not got much about him in terms of <laughs> stature and physicality. So I've kind of talked myself out of it. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really understand why. I think, like you, we we see him do it on the international stage and do it very, very well. And it feels like he would be a good option, but for whatever reason, it's just not something that Mikel has um, has gone for. I'd be playing Zinchenko this weekend. I have to say though, and I look, yeah. I thought Tommy was brilliant against um, uh, against Sevilla, and I'd one hundred percent be starting him against Newcastle next week at St James's Park. But for this game at home to Sheffield United, knowing how this game is going to pan out, or certainly expecting how this game is going to pan out. It's for, for me, it's that, that's the game for Zinchenko at left-back. You don't really need Tommy Asu there. Um, but yeah, 100% against, against Newcastle, he starts for me. Indisputably, completely agree with you. And um, what a blessed relief it is to to have those two. Um, with, you know, with uh, Tommy Asu, by, by all accounts, you know, I don't, I've never not asked the question on his contractual situation, so I don't know what his sort of long-term view of his future at Arsenal is. But I think he is really settled in this role where he knows he will get a lot of minutes, but they might come. They might come at centre-back, they might come at right-back, they might come at left-back. I think he understands how much Mikel Arteta values him, even if that's not always reflected in being sort of pencilled into the um, the best eleven, uh, And it... It's brilliant seeing him back. I think he was the player that he was a sort of underrated cult hero of the the rise of of this Arteta team. And I think everyone worried, you know, everyone wanted it to be better for him last season. And just a great guy, always good in the mix zone, which, as you know, I consider a key criteria mm-hmm. in Arsenal players. And I do want to get him in the mix zone now because it's got to the stage where we kind of want to say, Tommy, do you think you should be next in the uh, on the contract carousel? Get him signed up, Mikel. Yeah, yeah, no, one hundred percent. I'll be keeping. I'll be keeping him. I've been surprised at how many questions I, I had over the last sort of six months or so. People saying, "What do you think we should do with Tommy Asu? Do you think we should probably cash cash in on him?" It's like, no. Why would you want to cash in on Tommy Asu? He's absolutely the twelfth man of this team. Mm. Um, you know, whether there's a debate, you know, should he be starting? Should he be in that regular starting eleven? There's, you know, very understandable debate on that. But I think, like you say, he is pretty much the first sub on every single time. He He's not a bit part player. He is an absolutely crucial member of this team. Um, and, you know, he plays a lot of minutes and will continue to play a lot of minutes. And there's lots of talk about what happened with Saliba at the end of last season and what that injury meant to Arsenal's season. But there is a very big shout that the Tomiyasu injury as well was, if not as mm. important, you know, very close to being as important, coming on the back of Saliba's one as well. You know, had he been fit, 
while Saliba had been out, I'm not sure Arsenal's season would have ended the way it did last season. I think he would have, they would have been a hell of a lot stronger with Tommy in that. Right. I'm going back to this now. <laughs> oh God. Bit of a, a bit of a quiz time for you. And I've not for these for you, those watching and listening, I've not given him a heads up on this because no. I was really interested. I tried to do it myself without actually looking at the team and <laughs> I was I failed so miserably. And I was at this game, I remember it very well. Um is this the home three, game? No, it was three nil at Bramall Lane. Um, <laughs> no memory of this game for starters. Martinelli scored. Oh, I mean, wait Mart- a minute. Martinelli scored. And I remember in it was it was Zoom pressers. And I remember afterwards saying to Mikel, because it was I think it was Martinelli's first start in a while and he scored. Mm-hmm. And I remember really pushing Mikel on the presser afterwards. You know, are you gonna you know, does he deserve to be starting at the weekend now <laughs> that he's done this? I remember this was I, this was in the Mikel hates Martinelli days. Yeah, it was right? in the Mikel hates Martinelli yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that everyone everyone was pushing. Age like milk. And uh so yeah, and I remember pushing him on it. So so uh yeah, try and name if you can the starting so, uh, I'm intrigued to see how I many actually, you get in this. This is this I think says so much worrying about me. I can't remember much of the starting eleven, but I can absolutely remember the shape of the pass network because Arsenal ended up basically with these like two pod it's the sort of start of the pods, as we now call them. So I think you have I mean Danny Ceballos. Danny Spies did start, and that's impressive. I didn't get Danny Spies. Arsenal scored one of their best goals, if not the best goal of the season in this game. Uh, Lacazette? Yeah. Who scored that goal? Actually, Lacazette scored two, yeah. and he finished a brilliant team move that Ceballos was heavily involved in, actually. Now I remember it. It was a brilliant so, team move. So I feel like I must then... I'm one midfielder down, and I'm going to assume it's Granit Xhaka. He did start, but he didn't start in midfield. Oh god, he's left back. Jack of the left Jack of left back stage. Right, 2021. Oh, midfield is gonna I'm gonna have to come back to that. Right. Centre backs will then I mean, come on, that midfield. We've been speaking about him for the whole show. Wait, what? In midfield. In in midfield, Parte. Yeah. Yeah, but he's on there. I wasn't. I wasn't counting him. Sacra. Oh, is he on the? Oh, that's me. Oh, yeah. Sorry, that's my bad. <laughs> um, so it must be Leno in goal. Yeah. The thing with COVID as well is I can't. You know, you know, like, did, did Arsenal win the FA Cup? When was Martinez there? So Leno in goal. This defense is spectacular, by the way. Cedric. No. Uh, okay, Rob Holding. Yeah. Pablo Marie. Yes, no, he's the, the unbelievably handsome Pablo Mary. Again, like COVID, I'm like, oh, he got injured against City then, and I, no, that was nine months before. Uh, Pablo Marie holding right back. So we've got Xhaka left back. Right back is Ainsley Maitland Niles. No, now plays no, he's out on Villa. Line, then. Oh, Callum Chambers. Oh, Callum God, Chambers. What a back four. Nil. What a back four that is. Jack and Mary holding Chambers. So, um, so, so I'm short. In midfield. I'm short one midfielder. Lacazette. Well, no, it was a kind of 4-2-3-1 formation, really. Actually, oh, Erdogan. Oh, no way. Obviously not. No, no. We had it, this. The formation I'm looking at. Had, had, Willian. Saka listed at, as a number 10. Is it, so it must be Willian then. No. Club record signing at that time. Pepe? Yeah. 
I just couldn't. I was like, yeah, how can he be in that team with Saka and... That was the team. Ooh. It was Leno, Xhaka, Mary, Holding, Chambers, Party, Ceballos, Martinelli, Saka, Pepe, and Lacazette. And that was, well, April 2021. At the club. So that's the only players, current players in the, at the club yep. who started that game. In the current Arsenal squad who started that game. The subs, I think, who came on. Willian came on in that. I did look at it. Um, who else came on? Willian, Elneny, and Nketiah came on. Other subs included Matt Ryan, Oh. Bellerin, Miguel Aziz was on the bench, Reese Nelson, Cedric Suarez. So, yeah. I mean, I don't want to dive too deep into things that really won't interest our viewers, but um, as, as you will well know, there are moments when a sort of, uh, you know, there are moments when people around Arsenal get very annoyed at us because we ask for, you know, we're always asking about transfers and all that. And I've never known anyone at Arsenal as smug as when they, got the Matt Ryan deal all the way through to announcement and no one knew about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were picking up the phone, like laughing their heads off that none of us saw it coming. Um, so, I mean, and they, they, Fabio Vieira as well, they were quite smug that that was basically like a done deal by the time we found out about it. But Matt Ryan, I think, is a, a place in Arsenal media folklore for that reason alone. It does indeed. I remember that very, very well. Um, yeah, so big, big changes. And uh, yeah, hopefully 3-0 win though. Hopefully we can repeat that That's, this weekend. I'll take that all day long. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, right. Let's sort of look backwards now, having been looking forward, and just go back to, to Tuesday night. What were your thoughts on this game? I mean, we touched about it at the very, very start, and you know, it was a really good result in a place where it's not easy to win. Um, there was a few good individual performance. Gabriel Jesus, I mean, what what, what what did you prefer? Gabriel Jesus's goal or Gabriel Jesus' uh, assist? Oh, the yeah. assist it was amazing. That was so, so good. It was one of those classic moments as well when he played the ball through and there was literally about 10 seconds to wait to see if this was going to end up as a goal yeah. or not. And I sort of started off probably about 10 foot from the TV. And by the time Martinelli had actually rolled it in, I was about one foot away from the TV. It was just getting closer and closer as he's getting closer towards the goal. We're like, come on, come on, come on. And uh, yeah, it was a brilliant. It's the way that Martinelli is so gets so far clear of Sergio Ramos that he has time to then slow down and round the keeper. It was beautiful, beautiful pass, beautiful goal, beautiful performance by both of them. I had um, 
Martinelli. I had I, I had Jesus in my team of the week until Evan Nielsen of Porto scored a hat trick in the second half because it seemed churlish to then take him out. But Martinelli for the actually was possibly my man of the match, um, and he was in my team because I thought his defensive work was sensational again, and you 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 well know. That's what Arteta loves about Martinelli. You know, yeah. of course he values the goals. He values the creativity, the ability to beat a fullback. But when Martinelli is sprinting down the other end, Mikel Arteta's heart just raises. Yeah. I only gave Martinelli a seven in my player ratings and I got a lot of grief for that. I, yeah. I, think I, I definitely marked him down, judging by the reaction that I got and what you're saying there. Um, I obviously didn't notice that brilliant defensive work as much but I thought he did really well and I, I think you might just way... take it for granted though I think mm. that might be it sometimes you know you watch Saka and Martinelli and you don't you sort of go actually I don't see Mo Salah doing that I don't see Marcus Rashford doing that for one definitely don't see Marcus Rashford doing that um I thought he took his goal really well considering he'd had that miss early on and so, and he had so much time to think about it once he'd gone through. And you know, those are often you always hear it. You know, the the hardest chances for a forward because you're just thinking and thinking and thinking, and you're waiting to see what the goalkeeper's going to do. And you don't see people going around the goalkeeper very often anymore. Like you'd see Henri do it all the time, right? You'd do it all the time back in the day, um, but you just don't really see it that much. It's always like the little dink or something like that now, or, or try and get him through the legs. You rarely see him actually go around the keeper. And I loved that finish. I thought it was, re- I thought it was really, really good. And Jesus's second goal was exceptional as well. You know, the the the, um, the sort of skill to work himself into the position to shoot, and then the finish is brilliant. I mean, he is a Champions League machine. His goal scoring record in the Champions. If only he could, he could sort of take that <laughs> over to the Premier League and do that and score at that sort of rate in the Premier League, it'd be absolutely brilliant. And such a shame he's gone off with this injury now. Now, obviously, he hopes it's not that bad. He said afterwards that he didn't think it'd be too much. We'll wait to see what. Well, saying that, I was going to say, we'll wait to see what Mikel says in his presser tomorrow. But no, no. <laughs> Mikel's probably not going to say anything in his presser tomorrow about it. But um, yeah, it's a real shame. Hopefully, it's nothing too serious because you ju- they're just a better team, Arsenal. Well, whatever you yeah. your thoughts on Gabriel Jesus, on does he score enough goals? Is he the striker Arsenal need to really go to the next level? You know, whatever your thoughts on that. The absolute fact is, and there's no getting away from when Jesus is in that team and playing as a number nine, they are a better team. And he makes he makes Arsenal better, and um, it'd be a real shame now that uh, if he's out for a you know any sort of significant period of time on this injury, it, it, you, you're indisputable. He and, and and I think it's the thing you have to bear in mind when you think about if you ever do want to upgrade uh, on Jesus, you need to then find a player who, in games like this, isn't just your striker who gets loads of shots and and takes his chances really well. He is the guy that creates for others he presses as intently as anyone and I think Arsenal's off-ball press looks much better with Erdegaard and uh, Jesus is the two than it does with Nketiah and, and Erdegaard or whoever um those all-round qualities like you know like Arteta will always say he he raises our ceiling or you know he, he raises our levels changes because our world changed our world changes our world that was what i was thinking yeah. <laughs> you, you keep thinking arteta can't find something more glowing to say about jesus and he finds it um that those qualities are not sort of as readily apparent as someone that scores 20 goals you know in the premier league and jesus gets 17 but jesus is jesus in your team makes it a lot easier for martinelli to get 15 saka to get 15 mm. um I think the worry is that it's 
you know, it's, it's, it's always, it's, there's just too many injuries. It's sort of the same thing as Partey and Arsenal need to make sure sooner or later that they are ready and um, more ready than they are now for Jesus to miss two, three months because it's happened quite a lot in his Arsenal career. But um, like, I agree with you, agree with Arteta. This is a player who takes Arsenal to another level, another planet. Um, so good is he. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's why I've never bought into this. Arsenal have to get an upgrade on Jesus. I don't think so. I'm I'm very much in the camp of Arsenal need another option up mm. front, but I don't think that's necessarily to replace Jesus in the starting eleven. I think it's a another option who you could for games put him in, leave Jesus on the bench, but then you bring Jesus back in for for another game. I don't think he needs replacing. I just think he needs supporting. If you see what I mean, with another option up front yeah. that that Arsenal could go to. And yeah, I think um, he was exceptional at the weekend. And just kind of fingers crossed now that um, uh, that he is not going to be out for too long. Martin Odegaard's performance wasn't great. He got hooked again, um, as he did against Chelsea. A couple of disappointing performances from him in a row. I've had a fair few sort of comments and questions about it. You know, some of it, I think, is just people it's going over, over the top. I mean, it's not that long since Martin Odegaard's turned in some very, very good performances like Bournemouth wasn't that long ago and I know it was Bournemouth but he was so good that day and there's been plenty and he wasn't great against Chelsea he wasn't great against Sevilla City he um, was great against City um, yeah and and so I, I'm not I'm not worried about Odegaard I don't people are saying oh he should be dropped it's like you can't drop him straight away for a couple of bad performances it needs to be far in this this run of form needs to go on far longer before you can to, um, sort of go into that but why, why do you think maybe Martin and I think it's definitely safe to say that he hasn't been at his best yet this season on a consistent basis. There's been some good performances, but do you, why do you think we're maybe not seeing him perform as well as he potentially could do? Do you think there's, you know, factors like Parsi not being fit and maybe that right-hand side isn't quite been working as well for whatever reason as it had done before? You know, what 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 could you potentially put it down to? Yeah, I mean, first of all, like, talk to me about dropping Odegaard when we're well clear of five games of bad form. You know, footballers all over the world have the odd bad game here or there. Um, I think part of it, and I think we've talked about this before, the one great strength of Partey and the way he would get Arsenal up the pitch is his taking the ball on the turn and passing to Erdegaard meant Erdegaard got this quick ball. I feel like Erdegaard's having to go and get it. Um, I haven't seen the heat maps, but I bet you a lot of his touches are, are happening quite deeper. And that's only part of this midfield that has been really unsettled. One where I sort of feel like Erdegaard has gone from maybe the junior player. I know that's weird to say of a club captain, but, you know, Granit Xhaka and and Thomas Partey were, were so experienced and so they so imposed themselves on the roles they had that it, it really freed up Erdegaard to sort of do whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, within Arteta's confines. And I think now the responsibility is on Erdegaard because he's got a new signing. He's got at least one new signing next to him, maybe two. Um, I think the, early in the season, it didn't help that there was no Ben White. And I know that's that's what Aaron's suggesting there, isn't it? Um, an interesting idea about switching him to the left eight. I just, at the moment, it feels all a little bit premature. I think we're all, you know, he, he scored a few a few great goals last season that that swelled his tally, and he had a great finishing season. But he's still getting in okay spots. It's it's a little bit off, but for now it just feels like the totally natural 
off runner form that even top footballers have. And he's still a top footballer because he was still great against City. He was great against United. He has really good games. Um, And I don't buy into this argument that he disappears in big games either. I I mean, he scored at Spurs last season. He scored against United this season just after Rashford has put United in front. Really crucial goal. He stepped up and got that equaliser. Scored a couple against Chelsea last season. Yeah, he, he scores in big games, so I, I don't buy in. Can I can, I? can I? say where I think that comes from? I think this is the 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 debate the the debate on football Twitter, which like we have to all acknowledge, because as journalists, we're probably more on Twitter than other platforms. It does kind of influence conversation, but it's just been hijacked by stupid people. Often, that sort of you know, fans are letting the idiot fringe of rival clubs go, oh, well, Erdegaard had a bad game against us one time, so he doesn't turn up in big games. It's stupid. He's, like like you say, Charles, he's had so many good games against in, in the biggest games, the North London derbies, against City, against Chelsea, where he scored twice um, last season. Maybe, 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 maybe he, Chelsea's just not a big game at the moment because they're in mid-table. <laughs> but he's not, not a big game player. It's just stupid. Yeah, and I think I, I think the fact that he's playing basically in a new midfield this season has got to be taken yeah. into account. Last year, if everyone was fit, and they were a lot of the time, you had Party, Xhaka, Odegaard. You knew exactly, and you've mentioned how experienced um, Party and, Ode- and Xhaka are and how um, kind of influential they were in that team. Suddenly, he's got a completely new team. Look, ben, um, Declan Rice has been brilliant, but it is still a new player to adjust to and to work up that connection with and that partnership with. And then there's been countless other players playing next to him because it seems to be chopping and changing each week. So I don't think that that helps. And definitely not having party there to sort of split the line and get the ball to him in an advanced role is, would have had an impact on his performance. There's no doubt about it that he's having to drop drop deeper to get on the ball at times because he doesn't have that quality of pass that party possesses. And party not being in the team, I think that's such a crucial area. You know, people I've had people say, well, he's not creative enough. It's like, he's really creative. The way he plays party when he's on it is so creative because he just can find those passes that no one else can find from deep and find Arsenal in space, find players in space, find Odegaard in space. You can then turn and he's in the final third and can do the damage that he does. So I think there's a lot of reasons for it, but I, I just, I'm, I'm agree with you. I just think it's far too early to suddenly start think, panicking and, thinking, oh, Odegaard's out for We need to drop him. We need to find a replacement. We need to do something. It's just like, no, just just calm down. It wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, think actually think back. Arsenal's best result, in my opinion, last season. Best result, Newcastle. best performance in Newcastle away last season. That was one of the most intense matches I have watched in such a long time. And I was right behind the dugouts in the press box for that game. And it, the intensity, the atmosphere, it was such a difficult game to win that the way they did, especially going into it on the back of some disappointing performances where it kind of you kind of knew the title had gone and they had to win that game just to keep their chance alive. Odegaard was unreal in that game. He scored again and he was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, that was such a big game on the day for Arsenal and he did it then. So I just don't buy into the fact that he disappears in big games at all. It's just not true. It's not. And um, so, yeah, I'm not I'm not. I'm not too worried about him yet. And um, I'm not sure about moving him over to the left-hand side yet either. I'm not sure what, if that will, if that will solve anything uh, at the moment. I still think, you know, keep, keep that right-hand connection going with him, Saka and, um, and White, because it's, you know, it's so integral to Arsenal, I think, when he, uh, uh, when he plays well. All right. Let me bring up another one I wanted to talk about. Um, 
John here. This is question for extra time. On watching recent matches and noting the high work rate of Martin Elise, Rice, Trossard and Jesus, who do you think are the hardest working players and which players do you need need to do more? And I, I was thinking of this before <laughs> it came on. I was like, is there anyone that I would say needs to work harder in this Arsenal team? And I don't I, you know. People say, oh, Havertz. But then the stats don't back that up because yeah. you see the stats in terms of distance run, challenges uh, <coughs> and all that. He is, he's up there. Maybe he's more of a language type player. But I don't really look at this Arsenal team now and think there's one in that squad who really needs to work harder. You look at the work rate of players like Nketiah and when when he comes in, everyone puts in a shift in this Arsenal team, don't they? I mean, if you don't, you're not in the team. It's just plain and simple yeah. because it is the number one demand from Mikel Arteta. And if you don't, if you don't work hard, you are not going to get a look in in this Arsenal squad. Although, can I tell you who never looks like they're working hard, even though he clearly is, is William Saliba. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I was gonna, I was gonna say, I'm just very conscious that nowadays you have to kind of be prepared for your words to be taken out of context. But um, Saliba looks like he's sort of playing, like to, you know, to continue the Rolls Royce metaphor, he looks like he's playing the whole game in second gear. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's often, that, I mean, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? Is, you know, we don't always, because we don't see them on training, we don't always know who's lagging off their best levels. Um, and Arteta does. And he, you know, we know that. Doing that is just immediately boom out of the squad, out of the club. You know there are and there is very little patience for for players that don't work hard at Arsenal. And um, I think to an extent that was reflected in the early years. Um, but like you say now, it's almost hard to pick just one. Um, but I mean, I'm always impressed by the sort of bursts of energy that like, a Trossard brings when he comes off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Oh, Ben White as well, because it, what he has done to change his game and, and, and expand his repertoire and do everything for this team over the last uh, two years is just sensational. And he, and also when, when you list like the best Arsenal players, no one ever lists Ben White, so why not give him a shout out? Mm-hmm. Does need to sort that hair out though. I, I t- when Arsenal were 2-0 down at Chelsea, I was very, very ready to start a Ben White hair campaign because I was, I was convinced that was going to curse Arsenal's season, that the hair was going to curse, I like curse it. Arsenal's season. I'm less... I like it. How can you like I'm, that? I mean, look, Ben White... You know, I tell you I, what... Who, who am I to give Ben White tips on hair when you got this monstrosity up here? <laughs> but, uh... Well, that's the thing. I think Ben and I can vibe on having excellent hair. Um, if Arsenal win the league, I would absolutely do my hair, Ben White. If he if he if he makes a sufficient contribution, what I deem to be a sufficient contribution, you should do that for your wedding and surprise. <laughs> surprise. I was going to say I'll do it. I'll do it now. But yeah, I would be. I'd be dead. Yeah, that would be. I'd not be getting down the aisle. Um, okay, from one fantastic piece of hair uh, to another. Well, actually, two very good, strong, fantastic pieces of hair there in Albert Stoudenberg and Mikel Arteta. Um, lots of stories doing around emanating from Holland at the moment about Stoudenberg's future. Obviously, Ajax on the hunt for a new manager after remarkable start to the season from them. Um, Louis van Gaal is in as an advisor at Ajax, and Louis obviously worked with Albert at Manchester United. And there's lots of stories doing around that he is advising Manchester United to go after Stoivenberg and appoint him potentially as their new manager. Um, I mean, I haven't had this sort of backed mm. up or anything yet, but it's it's definitely worth debating in case it does actually happen. Now, Arsenal lost Steve Round. We say lost Steve Round. It was decided Steve would go in the summer. Um, a sort of mutual agreement. 
who was one very key person in Mikel Arteta's early time at Arsenal. Stoivenberg, we all know, obviously is really, really crucial to Arsenal and Mikel. They have a great re- working relationship. We've seen now, but step up and you know do the job of Mikel when he had COVID. How big of a loss if this were to happen? Of course, it feels like we're, we're we're some way off that actually happening yet. But if it were to happen, how much of a loss could you see it being, and how much of an impact do you think it make on Mikel? I mean, I, I think it it would be a lot easier to underplay its significance than to overplay its significance. And he's he's very clearly established as a sort of lead assistant. Um, I think a lot of and you'll know better than me, but I think a lot of the the value that Steve Round brought was very early in Arteta's tenure as someone that has been there and done that in Premier League benches. But you you always see in games how often Arteta is is talking to Stoivenberg in particular about relaying, you know, tactical instructions, maybe what needs to change. You know, only they know what they're talking about, but it's very obvious who the the man he re- refers to most is, um, and it is Albert. For that reason of course it would be hugely significant if he were to to walk out the door i mean like you i've seen the reports in the netherlands um kind of not being able to independently verify any interest there is interesting it's intriguing he's a Feyenoord fan i believe um i don't know how much difference that makes when you have a chance to take on one of the biggest jobs in the netherlands but also um you know if i were advising Albert, I would um, certainly recommend him having a long, hard think because, you know, to put this in context, I was I was reading, um, it was either Wesley Schneider or Raphael van der Vaart saying, this is a team that needs to sort of think about whether or not it could get relegated. Um, you do not want your managerial career to start in this sort of ultra toxic environment, uh, which is what it looks like Ajax games are right now. I mean, they can hardly finish a game without something being hurled onto the pitch it's a tough place I would imagine for a a rookie head coach I know he had a little while didn't he it was it Ghent or Genk mm. a Belgian club he had less than a year in charge but you know, a huge step in your managerial career and I know that someone like Arteta who effectively let jobs pass him by to find the right one um it was hard to know what he would say part of him I'm sure would say you've got to pick right this might not be the right time to go to Ajax and could do big damage to your career but also Mikel Arteta, I'm sure people would have been telling him this might not be a good time to go to Arsenal. There's so much work needs doing there. Um, yeah, what, what do you think? Because I mean, I, I, I would I would worry about that, like the experience on that coaching staff without Stoivenberg and Steve Round. Yeah, they have to act pretty quickly to bring in a replacement. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm sure with this sort of thing, there is always a little bit of forward thinking and forward planning involved because. Yeah you know, these assistant coaches will go and, you know, a job will come up and they'll take it. And someone like Albert, I, you know, I'm sure they're probably expected it might happen. I think coming on the back of Steve Round going as well, just a couple of months after that, it would, there's no doubt it'd be a blow for Mikel. Um, and I would be a little bit concerned by it because Mikel is still a very, very young coach. And, you know, the pair of them are just so sort of connected you see it on the touchline you know the two of them they're always there together they're always talking they're always discussing and I'm sure I'm sure it would be a blow I don't think it'd be I wouldn't look at it and be absolutely you know really concerned about what it might mean to Arsenal season but I think they would need to get they would need to act relatively quickly to get in a very strong replacement who is on Albert's level who can sort of you know slot into the role that he's done very very well i mean i, I remember for the book i spoke to andreas georgeson um 
who was a set piece set piece coach at Arsenal mm. in, in Mikel's first full season. And yeah, he spoke really, really glowingly about Albert and Steve actually, and how important they were. And he felt that they were to Mikel, the two of them combined in terms of he said they had really, really different skills. And he thinks that was, you know, very purposely done by Mikel. He wanted Steve to do the stuff that we knew Steve did on the training ground and that sort of whole, you know, the, the guy was really kind of old school and close with the players and knew the league and any of the real sort of technical stuff that Albert did and did really well and combined really well with Mikel. And he thinks and he thought that they were absolutely essential to the way Mikel was operating. Um and I have no doubt that he would think, if I were to ask him now he, about Albert going, he would think it would be a big, big blow to Mikel. So it would be a little bit of a concern, but I, I think the most important thing would be just to make sure that the replacement came in pretty quickly and was and you know was was of Albert's level. It's very hard to stand in coach's way. I mean, you th- think back to Pep with with Mikel. You know, he would he would never stand in in Mikel's way, and he said that he went on record, didn't he? he said that if he mm. wants to go, he wants to go. I'm not going to stand in his way of him taking a really good job and. You know, for for all of Ajax's faults at the moment and the position they are in, it's still Ajax. I mean, it's still a hugely tempting yeah. club. If that get that job gets offered in front of you, that would be a very hard job to say no to, surely. Um, so, yeah, I don't think he would probably look at the state of the club right now and think that's an immediate turnoff. I think he would probably look at it as potentially an opportunity. You can't get much mm. lower than where they are now and to get them back on. Strong. So it's definitely one to keep an eye on. I'm going to be very. I'll be really interested to see how it how it all pans out. But um, I'm sure McKellar get asked about it. I imagine at the presser tomorrow. It'll be mm. interesting to see what he has to say. Is there anyone? I mean, I'm probably kind of thinking here. Someone with a bit of Arsenal heritage because Sandy <laughs> as an assist. Because I, but I, I think you maybe do need someone who has. I mean, it's hard now, isn't it? Because you've got Arteta's got the experience he didn't have at the start. But I, I would want someone with a little bit of like either yeah. managerial or assistant manager yeah. experience. I jest I when I say Santi. It's just that's what everyone. But I would like Santi too. Everyone says well. immediately. Obviously, it, could, it couldn't be Santi. Santi couldn't walk in and be uh, Mikel's assistant on the back of zero experience, really. And he's still playing anyway at the moment, isn't he? And by um, all accounts, he's still uh, balling as well. Yeah, he is. Apparently, people. I keep seeing tweets of people who've been watching him saying that he's uh, he's still balling out, which doesn't surprise me at all. Um, so yeah, I don't know really when I on the off the top of my head about who could potentially come in. I don't think it necessarily needs to be an Arsenal man. I mean, Albert's no. not an Arsenal man. He's come from you know Man United and got all those links. And so I don't necessarily think it has to be Arsenal. Um, it just needs to be someone on Mikel's level. You know, Mikel's such an intense guy, and you know I don't think everyone would find it that easy to work with Mikel. And so it'd have to be someone who, you know, is carefully selected. And I'm sure, like I said, that there would be some forward planning going on. And there would be some people that he would have in his mind to to approach should something like this happen. OK, there's a couple of questions before we move on uh, and end this one. We are up to the hour mark now. Um, it's one from Nicholas. I've had a few about this. It keeps talking about the way Arsenal are playing. He says, last year we looked very good. While results were coming most uh, coming mostly this season. Do you have any concerns about the fact we haven't really played all that well? Or at the very least, we haven't dominated teams, perhaps like we did 12 months ago. Look, I would like to see Arsenal dominating teams. I mean, <laughs> in a way, they're, they're, they have dominated a lot of games this mm. season, to be fair. Um, it's maybe just, it's just not quite the, swash, the swashbuckling football that we grew to know and love at times, certainly through the first half of last season when Arsenal just blew teams away and had kind of won games within the first sort of 10, 20 minutes at times. So 
Um, but I'm not overly concerned. I'm, you know, I'm still looking at the fact that Arsenal, where are we? We're coming up to November. They're still unbeaten in the Premier League. They're, you know, in and around exactly where you want to be at the moment in the Premier League in terms of the table. They're top of their Champions League group, having won twice out of the three games. They're through in the Carabao Cup. So I can't, I don't really, I'm not worried, I have to say. And I, I almost like the fact that there's room for improvement this season, whereas last year, the first half of the season, there was barely any room for improvement. It was it was basically impossible to follow that first half of the season because if they did, it would have been absolute record-breaking season like English football had never seen before. So there was only almost only one place to go last season. But this season, there's, there's clearly room for improvement and there's a games go on as the team gets more adjusted to playing together as they get used to some of these new relationships that we're seeing as hopefully players like Havertz begin to settle more that they're just going to get better and better and the fact that they're maybe not their best yet and they're winning games and they're not losing is for me that's a positive plus yeah the football's not as sexy but the defense is notably better it is harder to score against Arsenal you know that's drawn out by the data and what is it, you know, less than a goal a game conceded. And I think Arsenal, win, you know, you, you can't win the Premier League title conceding a goal a game. Uh, and if Arsenal can knock half a dozen or more goals off the goals conceded column, then that should be fine. Because like you say, more time with these, this sort of new reconstituted 11, more time with that Saka Martinelli, Jesus front three, the goals should come in greater number. Um, yeah. I think it's all fine-ish. I'm a bit wor- I'm a bit worried about Newcastle, <laughs> got to say, because they look really good. Well, they yeah, did until uh, everyone I, got injured or suspended. I, yeah, and no Denali as well. That's obviously come out um, now that that ban has... Certainly, they've been notified of it. I think there was some sort of paperwork or formality still to be done, you were saying, before it actually gets ratified and put into law. But um, the, the 10-month ban for Denali has been made known now made public so it's going to be no Tonali you'd think um is that right I mean he's not going to be playing against Arsenal is he he won't be playing against Arsenal unless it get a big paperwork delay and it sounds like no Isaac against Arsenal either yeah he's out for a while which will be a blow obviously they've got Callum Wilson who's been a very good scoring form since he went there but you know I like Isaac I um I think he's a really good player Isaac I look at players potentially Arsenal could could sign and you know, I think he would have been brilliant in this Arsenal team mm-hmm. and a really brilliant option. Um, and like I said, last year's game at St. James's was so, so tough. It was it was just, if you were there and experienced the atmosphere and that intensity of that game, that was like a full-on cup final. It was really, really intense. And I'm sure this one is 5.30 as well. It's going to be under the lights at St. James's. It's going to be really, really difficult, that. Um, yeah, tough, tough game. Um, and just lastly, there's one last one I just wanted to talk about. Um from uh, Fanny Nkunu says, why are you journos, you journos, hey. and some supporters obsessed with who is a starter and who is not? City is the gold standard and you never know who is going to start other than Rodri and Haaland. Both Sinchenko and Tomiyasu are good enough to start for Arsenal and that's all that matters. That allows Mikel to pick whoever is suited on the day. So this is a non-story. We must just be happy the squad keeps improving. Look at the impacts the subs have had this season. I do think despite being called you journos yeah that, um, i love it when people that, say this that. is actually a, a very good point and i guess the rate the way we talk about it and everyone talks about it is just because it's football and it's opinion mm. and it's a debate and that's what makes football so brilliant is that we can all debate about who should start and who shouldn't start and you know who should be playing um so i guess that is that is why we do it but um i do 
get the point here that we should be happy that we've got the likes of Tommy Asper and Zinchenko. Mikel can make these decisions and he can look to play certain players against certain teams, potentially, like I was saying, Zinchenko this weekend, Tommy Asu next weekend. And it shows the improvement in the squad and the squad building has been a success, even if it's not finished yet. So, um, so yeah, do you think we spend too much time debating this sort of stuff or, or not? I, I think with within the Arsenal world, there's probably now, over the, especially since this summer, I don't think there's much obsession about who is the, the starter and who must start every game. And what is the best 11 beyond that one position where it is really interesting um, in goal? Um, because, we, you know, there are other teams that rotate their goalkeepers, but one of their goalkeepers isn't Aaron Ramsdale, a high profile England international. Uh, and uh, until such time as people aren't interested in reading or watching or listening to stories about uh, high profile footballers, um, I think people are going to, talk about it you know we are hate to say it but we as an industry are more aware than than ever before of what people are interested in and what people aren't and sometimes to a fault even we feed people what they are interested in uh, and we know so um it's true that people are interested in whether tommy asu should be this and i'm not you know like we've had the discussion there it's a horses for courses approach but there are a lot of people that want to make uh, want us to make statements that Martin Odegaard must not be a starter anymore, that Takahiro Tomiyasu is Arsenal's left-back. Um, I think we try and actually avoid that more often than not, but uh, people like getting yes, annoyed we, at Jones. I hope you realise that your statement that William Saliba is the laziest player in his Arsenal squad is now going to uh, be clipped up and made into a story on about 50 different news websites. Which, uh, which happens so all the dead. time, all the time. Are you right? Oh, we're going to wrap up now. We're nearly at a minute. Are you? At, are you at Sheffield United this weekend? I'm not. I'm at Sophie and Max, my friend Sophie and Max's wedding. Um, oh, but Sophie I will be. Um, I will be doing whatever I can. What time's the ceremony? Three o'clock. Um, I will be that guy. <laughs> will you be that guy? I will be the guy at the back. Well, I am at the. I am in the press box this weekend. But oh, yeah, brill! My first, my first one back this season. So yeah, looking forward to that. And then what we got West Ham on Wednesday, so probably back to Tuesday, I would say for for this yeah, week. Yeah, makes sense. Preview. I'll be at West Ham yeah. as well, providing I get oh, nice. accepted. I've applied for it. I haven't uh, got the accreditation through yet, but I think I'll be at West Ham as well. So, uh, so yes, I shall be seeing you in press boxes very very soon. Lovely, cool. Uh, All right, mate. Look, thank you very much for this. Thank you, of course, everyone for watching or listening once again and um yeah we'll be back next tuesday for the next one and i'll be back actually i say i'll be back tomorrow i might not be back tomorrow because i have got taking my kids towards farm and uh yeah, last day of half term last school day of half term so i don't know if i'm going to be able to record anything tomorrow so apologies do it that. from the farm do it with the goats do it from the farm do it with the goats do it with dennis burkamp there you go yes welcome charles watson the goat all right everyone have a good day cheers mate you have a good day i'll speak to you all soon you too Speak soon. Bye-bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 